You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, the boys invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. Here's my work wife, James Hardigan. Happy birthday, Joe. Coming up on today's show, it's my semi-annual meeting of the Poker in the Ears book club. I think this might be the first ever Poker in the Ears book club we've ever done. We've had numerous movie reviews. It's the first time we've actually read a book. Are you sure you want to stick to that? It was only a couple of weeks ago, Joe Stapleton, that we did Poker and Pop Culture. Oh my God, yes, of course, Martin Harris's book, which I went to there for a reading. We are definitely starting to rub off on each other way too much. Uh, With quarantine going on, less live events to chat about. We are sticking with the consumption of mainstream poker media, and that continues today with our deep dive into the new book and future bestseller, Rhea Konnikova's The Biggest Bluff. As I was saying, only the second ever time (laughs) that we've reviewed a book and spoken to the author on this podcast. Uh, My biggest bluff is going to be later on when I pretend to have read the entire book. Uh, (laughs) Look, I did have strange flashbacks to book reports. I'm like, I'm an adult. I cannot read a book if I want to. I did read most of the book. You know what happened, James, is I love the book so much. I didn't want to blow through it. I was actually enjoying it and didn't want to bounce around. I understand that, which is why I started reading it several weeks ago, because I wanted to take my time. I didn't want this to be an assignment, a piece of research for the podcast. I wanted this to be an enjoyable pursuit. Yeah. So more on that later. Scoop is actually finally over as opposed to last week when it was only mostly over. If there are any hanging chads from that, we will cover them today. Uh, We did a little bit more EPT retro this week. We will share a little post game on that. And this week's superfan, Kyle Stanley, which, isn't that just a mashup of two of the kids from South Park? (laughs) That is his real name, I can assure you. Uh, He is here to challenge me to three Amigos trivia. Uh, I have thoughts on this, now or later. Let's talk about it with Kyle. What else have you been watching? Uh, I just want to remind everyone that movie I talked about seeing at the drive-in called Vast of Night is available on Amazon now. I searched for it, and I couldn't find it, so I wonder if it's exclusive uh, to Prime in the U.S. I think, by the way, if you do find it, I think it should be fine for a kid. I don't know what the rating is. Uh, it's it's a thriller, but there's no actual violence or anything in it, so I, I think it should be okay. Um, Marvel, we did a little bit more Marvel. Yep. Doctor Strange. Yes. Which... On second viewing, I liked a little bit less than first viewing, but first viewing, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, I think it has the best character development, maybe, of all of them. Yeah, it also has a really disturbing post credit scene, which they haven't yet followed up on. Wait, hold on. What is it? I, I don't remember off the top of it's my head. It's where Chirital Ejiofor takes away Benjamin Bratt's ability to walk. Oh, I don't think I got to that one. I, I, it Joe, must have been Joe, a post-post. There's always two. There's always one mid-credits, and then there's another one post-credits. Oh, I think I've been missing a lot of the post-credits ones. I think I've only been watching the mid-credits ones. No, no, no. Oh, man. So so wait, so he cripples him again? Yeah, absolutely. And so setting himself up, I guess, as a villain to appear down the line in a future movie? Well, we've got the whole new marvel universe that's coming about so i assume all of the things that we haven't really seen will be coming back Um, phase four is about to begin and as we discussed a few weeks ago will tim roth at any point make a return appearance yeah i i would i think it's 50 50 like this chuatel thing i think is very likely to come back but tim roth i'd i'd rank it 50 50 also we managed to watch guardians 2 which I think is far superior, even in second viewing, to the original Guardians movie. I like seeing them already together. The whole origin story of everybody is gets a little tedious sometimes. So I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the music that plays over the end credits of Guardians 2, there is a yes. music video. Like the shot, Hasselhoff. Yes, but shot in the style of like a 1970s disco track where all the cast play different characters and Hasselhoff actually appears as the singer. 
I have never seen the actual video, but he does appear, obviously, in the yes. credits. Yes, I, I recommend searching for it on YouTube and watching it. It's weird, but delightful. Excellent. And one last movie I want to tell you guys about. I can't believe I slept on this movie. Um, there's a movie called They Came Together, uh, written and directed by David Wayne, a guy you've heard me mention a bunch of times on the show. Yes. Michael Liam Black, former guest, is in the movie. Um, I thought it was th- his crack at like a normal uh, romantic comedy. It's Paul Rudd, Amy Poehler. Turns out, no, it's the exact same kind of movie they always do with Wet Hot American Summer, Wanderlust, just a wacky, basically a parody of romantic comedy. Hilarious. Can't believe I waited so long to watch it. Really perfect escapism for right now. Uh, I've had a good week for watching stuff. And I finished, I refinished Justified. Over. Done. My girlfriend's seen it all now. Wow. And the ending still is perfect. Perfect ending. It is a great series, for sure. Um, We have been streaming more EPT Retro this week. To quote Doctor Strange, we're in the end game now because we've reached season six and that will be the last season we cover on this run. But we still have two weeks to go. This week we covered off Kiev, Barcelona and London, which were the first three stops the last three events of 2009. Now we move into 2010. Next week, we're going to go to the PCA. We're going to go to Berlin. We're going to go to San Remo. And then we'll close things out in Monte Carlo. So still a couple of weeks to go. Uh, what days of the week is it? Wednesdays and Thursdays. It's all blurring in my head. It does. Yeah. I will say that uh, I was playing on a PokerStars home game with Paul Schrader last night. And he said they have a date uh, to go back to Mississippi and to start filming the movie again, now there's going to be all kinds of rules and regulations and then the size of the crew they're allowed to have and what right. sorts of well, I was procedures ask, did, they did have Did the Mississippi do. even have lockdown? They had a very brief lockdown, yeah. yes. Um, but as far as like the unions are concerned for making films, uh, a lot of them are back on board with getting things going again and they're going to have different things happening. And I said, Paul, I hope that date holds firm. I do think it's for the end of June, right? So I do think that if there are going to be second wave problems, we're going to start seeing them in the next couple of weeks by mid-June. So hopefully if there are going to be more problems, we get to see them before things uh, get really out of control. Well, that is good news. And I'm glad that it looks like that film is going to be finished. We've got a couple of headlines to cover off. What's going on in poker today? Now it is time for Poker in the Ears news. And yes, let's just put the final period on Scoop 2020. It is now over, 100% done in the review mirror, in the record books. Uh, No real major changes to any of the headline stuff that we discussed last week. The final prize pools confirmed at 183629933 dollars Confirmed that Rui Ferreira did win the player of the series and gets that top prize of $50,000. Konstantin Maslak from Russia, second, getting 20K. Talal Shikurchi, Raidalot from the UK, third place, $10,000. And the UK did manage to cling on on the country's leaderboard with 46 scoop wins. Brazil, second, with 45. Damn, Brazil, huh? Once an emerging poker country, now a dominating poker country. I guess the biggest poker news story of the week concerns the Mike Possel case, something we discussed very briefly on the podcast towards the end of last year. Allegations that Mike Possel was cheating in cash games at Stone's Gambling Hall in California. Allegations that maybe there were people at the casino involved in some kind of conspiracy. Now, this is a civil case that was put forward in the state of California. This and was... by the way, for people who don't know what civil case is, because I think for a lot, of, a lot of my life, right, I just let civil fly past my ears. It means suing somebody. It does, exactly. These are not criminal charges against Mike Postle. That will be dealt with separately. These were people who played in those cash games who were trying to seek their losses, who were trying to recover money they felt was owed to them as a consequence of what they allege happened in these games. The case has been dismissed. Now, this doesn't mean that a judge has decided Mike Postle wasn't cheating. The case got thrown out on the grounds, on a technicality, I guess, that under California law, 
The judiciary cannot intervene in gambling disputes. In other words, it's not the court's position to rule on whether a player can recover their losses from a game that involved gambling. So, Which I think in general that rule is actually, uh, for the most part, a good rule. What the state of California is deemed is that, hey, if we're going to have poker be deemed as a, a, a game of skill in this state, we can't have the court system clogged up by all these cases of people suing each other over bad beats, suspected cheating. And so while so they're following this to the letter of the law, I do like the law in general. In this case, it kind of sucks, though. Yeah. Now, apparently some of the charges were dismissed with prejudice, which means they're settled barring an appeal. So we have to see whether an appeal will be lodged by the plaintiffs. But I think, unfortunately, the message that's got out here is that, ah, oh, a cheater got away with it. They've ruled that he wasn't. This was purely, as you said, Joe, about seeking money. This was a civil case. No criminal proceedings looked at yet. And we continue. I don't have high hopes for criminal proceedings. You know, typically you have a better shot at getting uh, financial compensation over things like this than you do uh, seeing criminal charges. So I don't have high hopes for that, uh, but we'll see. You know, I what the evidence, because this case is thrown out, right, we don't really get to see any of the evidence. So we'll see what happens. We'll keep tabs on the case as it progresses. The one final thing I wanted to say in this section is in case you missed it a couple of weeks ago, uh, it appeared at the end of the podcast as a piece of breaking news, but it is worth reiterating. And I'm sure most of you have seen the announcement on various poker sites and channels that the PSPC, the PokerStars Players Championship 2020, has been postponed to 2021, the date to be confirmed. The most important thing to say is that everyone who has won a Platinum Pass so far, those passes still valid. They will translate when this event is next held and there will be more opportunities, increased opportunities, to win a Platinum Pass for this event when it eventually takes place next year. Poker in the ears. Well, talking of the PSPC, Joe, of course, one of the very first Platinum Pass winners for the first Players' Championship was Maria Konnikova, who took down the National Championship at PCA 2018 and then had pretty much a full year to prepare for the PSPC itself. Of course, Maria had already been on our radar before that. We knew that she was a psychologist and author working for The New Yorker. Uh, We knew that she was researching poker for a book that she was writing. She'd received tutelage from Eric Seidel. He was her mentor, if you will. And I think it was Monte Carlo 2017 that she first came onto our radar. Um, And I think her journey probably went on for longer than she initially thought it was going to. And therefore, the book itself kind of got pushed back. But here we are in the summer of 2020. And finally, the biggest bluff is about to hit the shelves. It is very clear from the start of the book that it took a totally different sort of journey than she was expecting it to. Uh, I'm glad you pointed out that she was on her radar because it's always a big deal when someone from the mainstream is poking their head around poker, right? Word travels fast. People get uh, real into it. People want to make sure that, first of all, that their mark is sort of left sometimes. Some people want to make sure that poker is portrayed at least maybe not in the most positive light, but at least in the most accurate light. And so this was a very big deal. And I don't think anyone could have suspected that Maria out of the gate was going to become a champion. I think obviously that is what throws a whole monkey wrench into this thing, which I think makes this book phenomenal. I'm going to bring this up with her later, but James is the comparison is obvious and I hope that it's not offensive but this is positively Fifth Street. Absolutely. The- it's the amateur in a game that they have no right to be in, performing, outperforming, I guess, everyone's expectations. But also, the reason why I think that comparison is fair, because it's a poker book written by a writer rather than a poker player writing a book. And that's why I enjoyed it so much, because Maria is a natural. She's a, it's what she does for a living, for heaven's sake. Yeah. And it's a very easy read. As I said, if you know some of the story, if you're invested in her journey, then it makes it even more so. But even someone coming to this with no knowledge of Maria, no knowledge of the game of poker, no knowledge of what happens along the way or the ending, I think would really enjoy this. 
I, I think I would take it one step further than that. I would say that this book is now going to be my book that I make someone read if they ask me to teach them poker. I'm going to say when they're if they're starting from zero, read this book. Yep. If you make it through this book and you understand the concepts contained therein, then I will take it to the next step because this book, I think, is does a great job. Some of the parts that weren't as interesting to me were the things that I really already knew. What's the difference between a cash game and a tournament? What does limits mean? What does what are the rounds of betting? And all of that, I think, she breaks down perfectly. And if you're the sort of person that takes in information better this way. I think this book is an incredible introduction to the game of poker for all of the right reasons and all of the technical reasons as well. The biggest surprise and biggest delight, and obviously we'll talk to Maria about this in just a moment, is the insight we get to Eric Seidel, someone who I've always respected as a player, but have always found to be a little bit of an enigma. He is not the most forthcoming person doesn't really give much off in interviews when he agrees to do interviews is very silent at the poker table doesn't really join in the conversation continues to put up great results but comes across here as just a really genuinely nice talkative intelligent likable guy it's a side to side deal that i guess we all suspected was there but most of us don't get to see yeah, I mean, I, I definitely suspected it was there. Obviously, like he and Daniel had that feud for a long time. So I was kind of standoffish with Eric, thinking that my association with Daniel maybe made Eric not like me. Of course, I had Daniel's side in it as well, being um, being as close of friends of Daniel as I am. And I'm glad that they sort of forgot about that whole thing because I was kind of narrow minded about Eric. Uh, I always suspected when I was dating a professional poker player, one of the older school pros back in the day, she told me. Oh, Eric Seidel is the best. He's a super smart dude. He's really into music. And I have always admired the people who have had interests outside of poker uh, in addition. And Eric is maybe the guy whose um, skill in the game somehow matches his passion for the game, somehow matches his passion for other things. And yes, I would agree. Getting to know more about him, a kind of like mini, I wouldn't call it a biography, but just like a like a fly on the wall in Eric Seidel's life too was incredibly, incredibly interesting to me. I feel like Eric deserves a spinoff. Like I would like to see a whole other book just written about him. I would love to find out more about him. Um, One of the things I thought that Maria did really well is like one of my biggest problems with poker is seen by the outsiders is there's too much of this. you got to play the man. You got to read your opponent and you're, it's not a game of cards. It's a game of mano a mano personality versus personality. And I think that people focus on that too much. That's what poker once was. That's not really what poker is anymore. If you look at the top players in the game, of course they, you know, incorporate live reads and history and who the person is into their decision-making but it's not really that stare into a person's soul game anymore. And I think what Maria does a great job of is, is holding on to that romantic view and definitely having some of that, but also recognizing that, Hey, it's not really all about that online poker specifically bringing that huge aspect to the game. And I think she does a great job of marrying those two concepts together. Absolutely. There is a very intelligent treatment of luck versus skill and also one of the central themes of the book is that idea of applying poker logic and poker thinking to everyday life and to important decisions in your professional and personal life and again that's done in a very clever subtle intelligent way um look to quote marty de Berge, enough of my yakking let's actually speak to the author of the biggest bluff and welcome back to the poker in the Ears podcast maria Konakova. Maria, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be back. And Maria, you can finally give people an answer because since 2017, since you really started making a name for yourself on the poker circuit, everyone's been asking the key FAQ. When's the book coming out? (laughs) And now it's here. Finally. Yes, indeed. June 23rd. It is coming out. (laughs) 
how are um sorry just a side question about books yeah. and the book business in general how are books doing right now are they up because people are reading more you know no they're they're actually down a little bit um which is surprising because you'd think that people um are indeed re- uh reading more but i think that there have been problems with deliveries um so for a long time at least in the in the us um amazon stopped delivering non-essentials so you couldn't get books delivered through amazon which is how a lot of people order books um so there have been and a lot of independent bookstores it took them a while to get going with um with delivery yeah. systems since they're not used to doing that so i think there's been a little bit of a disruption in that um, for me, you know, I, I um, I'm lucky that I think that Amazon is once again shipping things normally, and that all the local bookstores um, are are working. But for instance, for galleys, normally I'm able to send out hard copies to everyone. Um, almost no galleys went out just because we're in lockdown in New York. So it's definitely been a very different process from a from a normal book release. Yeah, well, luckily I saw a bunch of Amazon uh, vans outside on fire yesterday, so they are oh, back excellent, out on excellent. schedule. Good yeah. to know, good to know. <laughs> and on that bombshell, uh, Maria, we both thoroughly enjoyed the book, and obviously we're coming to it from a position of some knowledge. We know you, we knew the basic tenets of the story, but there was so much in the book that I wasn't aware of. And this isn't a spoiler because this is how the story actually starts. Your intention, your mission, when you set off on this journey was to play the 2017 World Series of Poker Main event, roughly one year from when you first had this idea. And it all went pear-shaped because you got horribly sick. Yes. Um, I had a horrible migraine. So I'm, I've had migraines for most of my life. Um, I started getting them, I think, when I was around 10 years old. And um, I get very bad migraines. It's not just my head. They also make me throw up and um, it's not very pleasant. So yes, the book opens with me um, in <coughs> the most wonderful location in the world, basically where you'd want to go, you know, as your dream honeymoon destination, um, namely the bathroom floor of the Rio Hotel and Casino. <laughs> At um, least it's the women's room. And I guess if <laughs> does throwing up from migraines make you feel better? Because that's the one place I would go to if I wanted to throw up would just be the bathroom floor of the Rio. No, no, I just I still feel like shit. No. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no. Um, obviously, I had no idea going into the story that you had this issue with migraines. I had no idea that, that actually happened to you in Vegas that summer. But it's interesting. And obviously, fate is a huge part of the story here. Let's say, for example, that you had put in a solid performance in the World Series main event that year. Let's say you had, for example, Min Cashed. That might have been the conclusion of the story. You might have thought, well, I proved to myself that I can play with the best. And you might not have continued. You might not have played on. And Bahamas 2018 might not have happened. This is true. This is true. We never will know how the world would have looked um, had the World Series looked very different. It was, you know, it's it's interesting because originally the original plan was that I was going to spend a year playing poker. Yeah. And it took me much longer to get started um, than I thought it would just because it took a long time to kind of ramp up to even figure out what all, you know, what the, what in the world I was doing. And um, Eric was a very, Eric Seidel, my coach was a very conscientious coach. He didn't let me play um, until he was confident that I wasn't just going to be completely out of my depth he was happy throwing me out of my depth but he wanted to make sure i at least you know knew how to doggy paddle and for a long time i couldn't even doggy paddle so by the time i actually got to vegas um for the first time and started you know entered my first casino um to play in my first little tournament it was already the winter of of 2017 and so and so that was a very different timeline than i had imagined that past summer and the world series was actually not not a year away it was half a year away it was a very different timeline um so i think that that also you know kept me going longer but yes who in the world knows um i might have thought oh i'm brilliant you know i i did so well six months in game over yeah i mean That is one of my favorite parts of the book, by the way, the fact you're chomping at the bit and Eric is being realistic and holding you back and saying this is a marathon, not a sprint. And I think it's when you first arrive in Vegas and you're wanting to play like the 120 at the Aria and he's like, nope, you're playing $30 events at Planet Hollywood. I was so mad at him. Oh, my God. (laughs) Right, because to you, the difference between a 120 and a 30 is negligible, right? Oh, As far as bankroll. 
Totally. No, I actually, I had no idea what a bankroll even was. You know, to me, I was like, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know how much this costs. And there's Eric playing $25,000 tournaments and $50,000 tournaments um, at the Aria. And I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, of course, you know, $100 doesn't seem so bad. And of course, to me, it's actually, it's a lot of money. And I should, the difference should matter. Um, you know, I'm a writer. I'm not, I'm not someone who's coming to this with hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and at this point, you know, that I don't have much of an income. So, so I should have been much more careful about it. And I'm so glad that Eric was careful on my behalf. I just didn't even know, it didn't even occur to me that I'd have to, you know, buy in multiple times that, you know, $120 wasn't really $120. Yeah. All of these things didn't even cross my mind. Yeah. Just to go macro for a second, I'm guessing one of the hardest parts of this book, considering the amount of time that you actually spent pretty much full-time on the poker circuit is which characters to include, which stories to tell, how much to leave in, and what unfortunately just has to stay out. That's absolutely true, and I had to make some really heartbreaking decisions because I met so many incredible people, and just so much happened. I mean, I ended up, you know, playing full-time for multiple years. I mean, I never could have foreseen that. And that was just, it was totally crazy. Um, so I had so much material. And at the end of the day, I, until I started writing and until the book was finished, I still didn't know what was going to be in and what was going to be out. And there are certain sections that I'd written that ended up being cut before the, the final book and others that I hadn't written that we ended up deciding that would be good and I ended up writing and inserting so it was a it was a long process and I still you know I, I'm happy with how it came out but I don't but I'm not you're never 100% satisfied and there's always kind of the nagging feeling of oh should I have included this should I have omitted that um, so I tried to strike the right balance but it's hard just for the record everybody uh, I am in the book you, do you get are a in the book. You do get a mention as someone who interviewed Eric Seidel. Well done, Joe. Slow, <laughs> slow clap for Mr. Stapleton. Um, I guess the one thing I was slightly surprised was missing. I completely understand why, because not everything can make it. But when you won the national championship in the Bahamas, mm -hmm. that, of course, came with a platinum pass. That came with yeah. free entry to the Players' Championship. And suddenly you find yourself in a 25K buy-in event. And... There's no mention of any of that at all, but I'm guessing it just didn't really fit and the story didn't have, I guess, the ending that you wanted it to have. Right. No, it. I, I wanted to write about it, but it was, um, it was one of these things where I was trying to figure out, you know, how do I make it fit? And... And it didn't really. I mean, obviously, had I done really well in a 25K, that would have been wonderful. But I ended yeah. up busting on the first day. So so it was another it was another tournament that I busted. Um, and so that was actually I, I that was something that I wrote part of um, and ended up having to cut because it didn't fit with the narrative flow. But there were so many decisions like that. Yeah. You know, I, I wish I could have included all the tournaments because there were so many that taught me so much. And you know, that the the PCA that following year, you know, playing in the Players Championship was amazing. I mean, the energy there was was huge. Everyone was so excited to be there. I think it was a very special moment for the poker world. Um, I wish I'd done better and I wish it had fit in, in the narrative flow better. Yeah, I think that I mean, look, I know you wish you'd done better. I just want to say that I think that this book is everything that everyone in poker was hoping it would be. Obviously, we care about how things are portrayed and how we come across in the mainstream. And I think you really crushed it uh, as far as well, things that you. are. You, you're very welcome. And thank you, because I think that this is, will be very helpful to the industry as a whole. Uh, as far as things that you had to leave out, I think one of the most interesting things for both me and James was getting to find out more about Eric Seidel, a guy that mm -hmm. I've kind of known for a long time but haven't really known at all how much about eric did you have to leave out <laughs> a lot <laughs> and when you're writing it i assume because you left it out we can't know what those things are when you're writing it how much did it weigh on your mind what his perception of what you were writing about him was going to be you know, it didn't. I, I realized that I just needed to write the book and I needed to write the best book I could. Um, and so that's what I did. And I, you know, he he knew this whole time. It's not like I ambushed him and was like, hey, can I, will you teach me? Oh, 
ha ha, I'm writing a book and you're in it. Um, He knew the whole time that this was happening. And, you know, a lot of our conversations were actually on the record. I had a a tape recorder. He knew he was being recorded. You know, he knew that our lessons were being recorded. So a lot of this material actually comes from direct transcripts. And that was obviously fair game because that's something that, you know, that was obviously on the record. But I spent so much time with him, with his family, with his wife, with his daughters. You know, I just spent like at, at the end of the day, like I was almost a family member for a long yeah. time because, you know, we were traveling together and, you know, I, it's it, it's inevitable that, you know, you you get to know each other on on a very personal level. You know, he became a friend. I, I think of the, all of the Seidels, I think of the whole family um, as kind of another adopted family. And I think of them as as friends and as people I can turn to, not just as, oh, this is my poker coach, this is his wife, these are his daughters. Um, and so and so when that happens, you know, you you have to it becomes like writing about family, right? What do you write about your parents? What do you what do you leave in? What do you what do you leave out? And I really tried to strike a balance where, you know, I told the story and I tried to show Eric and show who he was and show sides of him that he might not have sh- shown otherwise. Um, and then actually he was the first reader other than my editor. So I gave him a very early copy before it went to anyone else and said, do you have a problem with anything? Um, because, you know, if you do, and he actually, to his credit, he didn't, um, you know, he didn't want me to publishing his address and phone number, which I had in the first draft, but you know, <laughs> other, other, other than that, um, he was, he didn't, he didn't ask me. He said, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. Was I really that mean? And I said, well, you're not mean, you're being helpful. <laughs> Absolutely. I can understand why you'd want to publish his personal details, because if anyone needs a poker coach, this is the guy you should be going to. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And Eric told me to tell the whole world that he's now taking hundreds of students. So please reach out. <laughs> now, anyone who's ever written anything knows that endings are hard. And I'm guessing in this case, it's like, at what point does the story come to a conclusion? You could have finished it, for example, with the win in the Bahamas, or after you signed the the kind of ambassador deal with Stars, mm-hmm. or after you proved to yourself that you weren't just a one-hit wonder with the success in Macau. But you keep going, and spoiler alert, guys, because I want to talk about the very <laughs> end of the book. Sure. We have another health scare in Vegas, yeah. another incident I knew nothing about, and I, I hope you're fine now, Maria, because that was dead scary. That you oh, that lost was, your that was, vision. Yes, that was that was incredibly scary. Um, that was yeah, that was I think as I as I write in the book, and I'm not exaggerating. I think those were was the scariest moment of my life. Um, and we still don't know what happened. Um, you know, I had to right away go in for brain scans. Um, but basically I, I thought I was having, you know, some sort of stroke or something like that. You know, I'm trained in psychology. I've studied abnormal psych. I know a lot of what can go wrong with the brain. And there was just this moment where it was the morning. Um, I just gotten up, I was standing in the bathroom and I suddenly started kind of losing my hearing and my vision and just everything went black. And I had this moment, this realization that, wow, I might be having a stroke. Something really, really terrible is happening. I can't pass out. I need to be able to tell someone what's happening because otherwise um, I just might lose my brain for the rest of my life. Because I know in those situations how important it is to react right away because otherwise, you know, there's oxygen deprivation. There's so much stuff that's happening. I was very lucky that my husband actually happened to be in Vegas um, at the time. So he heard me and was able to help. Um, And eventually my vision came back and, you know, everything, everything went back to sort of normal. um, And we still, we still don't know what happened. Um, The best guess is that it was a combination of a really, really terrible migraine um, and something that's known as a vasovagal event, which is basically what happens when you have a very sudden drop of blood pressure. It it happens if you, you know, stand up too quickly or something like that. Um, so I'd been fighting a migraine for a long time and I was in a multi-day tournament and playing very late and not eating or drinking enough. And I think all of these things together to... It, that's their best guess, but it was incredibly scary. Um, and it felt, I didn't even realize I was doing it, but it's funny to both start and end the book with a migraine in Vegas. Yeah. I think it's almost the, the, the perfect ending 
perfect in inverted commas if you understand my drift. But it's kind of implicit, if not explicit, Maria, that you kind of feel that that's almost a sign that this poker lifestyle kind of has to stop now. That kind of maybe it's been too intense. Maybe we need to kind of just look at the game as a recreational pursuit rather than spending every living, breathing minute at the tables. Yeah, no, it was a it was a bit of a wake up call um, that I do need a little bit more balance um, that, you know, being too intense about anything comes with a cost. And if that cost is your health, is it really worth it? Um, I love poker. You know, I think it's such a beautiful game. I if it weren't for COVID, you know, I'd be at the World Series right now. Um, the yeah. book was supposed to come out in the middle of the World Series, and I was supposed to be playing. Um, oh, that and... would have been so <laughs> synergistic. Like, just yep. too good. Oh, what a bummer. Yeah, but, you know, this is what poker teaches you. Supposed to means nothing. There's there's no such thing as that. I mean, if Things you make happen. the final table, it's like guaranteed bestseller. Guaranteed. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um Maybe maybe I make the maybe I make the alternate simulation reality <laughs> final table. We'll see. But yeah, so so I was meant to be playing through through the book release. Um and now we'll just see what happens. You know, we'll see when live poker is again feasible. I mean, I I honestly don't feel like I'm going to be comfortable going into a casino for a while. Um, so so we'll just take it day by day. And that's something that I you know, that poker has taught me to be okay with that, to be okay with the uncertainty, with the unknowing, because that's what poker is. You have to make the best decisions you can with incomplete information, knowing that you don't know what cards are coming next. And sometimes those cards are really, really shitty, like it happens to be right now. Yeah. I mean, obviously things are weird right now and have been since March. Uh, there has been very little, if any, live poker, and I guess it wasn't even easy for you to go across the border into New Jersey to play online for, for most of the last few months. But between, I guess, last summer and this spring, what, how much were you still playing? Had you kind of just put the game behind you? Were you just kind of dipping your toe every now and then? I was I was still playing a little bit, but I was actually so after the World Series last summer, um, I just hunkered down and wrote. So I took three months off completely. Um, and then I played some um, some local stops. I went to uh, the World Poker Tour stop at Borgata, um, you know, some things in Vegas, um, but didn't do any more international trips and tried to just keep it um, a little bit more, a little bit more manageable as I worked on the book and as I really just worked to finish it and to get it done because that takes a lot. Um, and I needed, I just needed that brain space to really work at it but I was still playing um you know I um like I said I went uh, to New Jersey and then um I spent a few weeks in Vegas um in December for um for the world poker tour for um and for some of the win events so I actually spent some time there um ended up doing well in some and not so well in others um but had a that was my kind of last last poker hurrah. I had no idea it was going to be. I was actually on my way to LA for LAPC and canceled. I was in New Orleans um, for for a conference and um, ended up changing my tickets and canceling the trip because that's when a lot of the news of what was happening with COVID started coming out and there were a few cases in LA and I thought, you know what? I don't want to. I don't want to go there. Um, that's not going to be the best decision for me. Did you manage to avoid catching COVID as a result? I did. I did. You know, knock on wood as of now. Right. So far. Um, Maria, have you chosen your next subject yet? Are we going to lose you out of poker entirely when you decide you're going to spend a year as a drug runner or an avocado farmer or whatever? <laughs> Stop telling everyone, stop telling everyone what I'm going to do with my life. Jeff. Come on, this was between us. And why can't you do both? I mean, why? I think an avocado farmer is a wonderful cover for a drug runner. Also, I just know uh, how much effort you put in and maybe you won't be able to devote a full effort to both things. I also think that the softest avocado is a great title and a great follow up <laughs> to the biggest bluff. That that's an instant bestseller. I think you need to write it. Um, but no, to answer to answer yeah. your question seriously, I actually don't know what I'm going to be doing next. Um, I haven't. I I can't think that far ahead. Well, I I have one one last question about about the book. Are any Hollywood people sniffing around yet? A few, maybe. 
Excellent. This is going to be such a cool movie. I can't wait. I look, I know the book just came out and I'm putting the cart before the horse a little bit, but movies make everyone excited. <laughs> well, we don't know yet if there's going to be a movie, um, but there is definitely some preliminary interest, perhaps. Awesome. Well, Excellent. I wish you luck with that, Maria. And the final thing I'd like to say about the book, and it's a minor observation, but it's so important and I'm so glad you did it. Whenever you talk about a generic poker player in the third person, I love the fact that it's when she looks down at her cards, when she posts <laughs> her blind. I, it, it's, it's, it's important that that's, that that's out there. So thank you. Of course. Well, that was a conscious choice. You know, I really hope to bring more women into the game. I think they make formidable players and I think it can make them better at life. Um, I think it teaches a lot of really valuable skills. Um, so so I hope that I hope that the book helps in that regard. I also hope that it helps in the regard of legalizing poker in the U.S. because I sure tried my damnedest to explain why it is most certainly a game of skill. Yes. And it's interesting you make the observation there as well about poker thinking and poker decisions in everyday life. And there's some great examples in the book, even when it comes to negotiating a freelance rate from some site <laughs> that wants you to write for them. It's like, no, now I'm going to go back. I'm going to raise because I, you've, you've suddenly you've found that negotiating power. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I really do think that it's made me much stronger um, in so many ways um, outside of poker. I never could have predicted that. I had no idea that poker was going to teach me these things. Um, I had no idea it was going to be useful in those types of situations, um, but I'm so glad it was. All right, Maria, are you ready? You've got one thing left to do, and that's to play one of my stupid games. Are you ready? Uh, I'm ready. What are we okay. playing? Maria, what, what would you say is the theme of this book? Chance. Sorry, okay, theme is the wrong word. What activity <laughs> does the book revolve around? Poker. No, other than poker. What did you and Eric Seidel do all the time? And don't say eat bagels. <laughs> walking. The whole book, this theme of the book is about walking. That's what I took from it. Think about it. You and Eric Seidel went walking. You get a walk in the big blind. The book is called The Biggest Bluff. See how it all ties together? What's The Biggest Bluff got to do with walking? Bluff the big blind, the biggest bluff, walk in the big blind. It's right there, James. Okay. Anyway, I wrote a quiz about walking. <laughs> There's a lot of talking about walking in the movie and now in the movie in the book. And now I want to do more talking about walking. This game is called Talk the Walk Walk, Walk the Talk Talk. It's a quiz about walks, walking, walk-ins, and such. Here we go. Can I Question ask, Joe, have one. you just started preparing generic quizzes and shoehorning <laughs> them into interviews where there's a tenuous connection? Did you even read this book? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Here we go. Question number one. The infamous line, I'm walking here, is uttered by Dustin Hoffman in a 1969 film. What is the license plate of the cab that almost hits him? <laughs> Just kidding. What is the name of that movie? Is it Urban Cowboy, Midnight Cowboy, Pocket Cowboys, or Stay Golden Pony Boy? Urban Cowboys. Urban Cowboy was the trick answer as a Midnight Cowboy is what we were looking midnight for. Midnight Cowboys. Damn it. I knew there were cowboys. Best picture winner. And interestingly, I believe that line was improvised. He and John Voigt are walking down the street. A cab nearly hits Dustin Hoffman and he improvised that moment. Wow. Just like, just like you and Eric Seidel. Question number two. <laughs> Whose catchphrase was dynamite? Was it Walker, Texas Ranger, Jimmy Walker, Christopher Walken or Firuza Walk? I have no idea. <laughs> um, well, the let's let's just say Christopher Walken because I love Christopher Walken. I don't think it's his catchphrase though. I think that's the wrong answer, but I'm going to say it anyway. You think his catchphrase was dynamite? No, I knew it. I know it's not. It, it's one of the first two. But Jimmy Walker is who we we're looking all right, for there. Jimmy Walker. I don't even know who that is, Joe. Where are these questions coming from? This is from the show Good Times from the 1970s. You were probably still uh, I've in the. I've never seen uh, that show. Another I was part not of even, the world. I was not alive. He's making it up. <laughs> I was not born in the 1970s. How old do you think I am? I don't know. You seem like an adult to me. <laughs> Question number three. In the game of baseball, what is the official term for walking? Is it HBP, hit by pitch? Is it WB, walk on balls? Is it BB, base on balls? Or is it YBMC, your balls, my chin? 
Um, I have no idea. I don't know anything about sports. Let's say uh, the the B one, not the whatever was number C, the base on balls. Base on balls is correct. You're on the board. Yes! I did it. I did it. I got one. All right, here we go. I think I think you're gonna do well for the rest of these. Question number four: Walking in which place might we find a pile of anthropomorphic precipitation whose name we have decided is Parson Brown? Would it be? Walking on Sunset, Walking in Memphis, Walking in Winter Wonderland, or Jaywalking in West Hollywood, Yas Queen? Walking in Memphis? In the oh, meadow, no. we can build yeah. a snowman. I don't know this. And pretend his name is Parson Brown, Walking in a Winter Wonderland. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So that's actually a line from the song that I've listened to my in whole life. In the meadow, and I just we can build a snowman are. and pretend his name is Parson Brown. Mmm. Wow. All right. I'm I'm horrible. You can you just you can disqualify me. Don't even run this interview. I mean, I'm clearly <laughs> just hopeless. Okay, this next one is from a time when you were alive. Okay. All right. Annie Lennox's big solo hit was about walking on this. Was it? Walking on sunshine, walking on broken glass, walking on hot coals, or walking on the left side of an escalator? <laughs> I have no idea. Hector Hardigan for this one. 80s music is a specialty. <laughs> I don't know. Play an audible, Maria. Let me answer the question for you. Okay. It's from her mid-1990s album, Diva, and the song is Walking on Broken Glass. There it is. Two, two on the board, out of lifelines. Question number <laughs> six. <laughs> I'm actually not really, really hopeful for you here. The TV series... <laughs> Walker, Texas Ranger, was co-created by a fella who went on to direct a best picture. What was that picture? Was it Crash, The King's Speech, American Beauty, or Chicago? Oh, it's a coin flip. Crash is correct! (laughs) Wow, I'm I'm brilliant, clearly. Paul Haggis. (laughs) co-creator of Walker, Texas Ranger. Final question. You're almost done being brutalized here. In 2019, Joseph Kahn, former guest on this podcast and obsessed with me on social media, directed a remake of Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You as an advert for which British potato chip company? Was it Walker's Crisps, Crisper's Walks, Walker's Crispers, or Crisper's Walkers? Oh, come on. Walker's Crisps. Walker's Crisps is correct. That was actually not a terrible finish. Once you Hector to Hardigan, Maria Konnikova, you are, in fact, a master of poker and walking. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was brutal. That was brutal. I and believe I... you somehow scraped through with a winning score. I think you may went four and three in the end with some assistance. With with a lifeline. With a lifeline. That's fine. Lifelines are allowed. Um, Maria... Wish you every success with the book. It's an awesome read. Recommend everyone in poker to read it. And also, and this is the important thing, give it to people who don't know poker because, as you said earlier on, Joe, a great introduction to the game. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, it's honestly going to be my go-to thing for anyone. I get lots of people that are like, hey, can you explain poker to me? And I'm just going to buy them a copy of your book and say, read this. If you understand the concepts and it seems interesting to you, then we'll go for it. It's going to be like my Eric Seidel samurai test like he gave you. Excellent. Excellent. I like it. I like it. Maria, thank you once again for joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me. One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out, and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus Stapes. Well, this would normally be the part of the show where we would introduce this week's superfan. We'd say hello, we'd get to know them, we'd give them the chance to win some prizes, but something went wrong this week. We did talk to Carl Stanley from Canada. He did come onto the show and he competed against Joe in a quiz based on the movie The Three Amigos. For the first time in podcast history, we had a corrupt recording. 
I can't believe it hasn't happened before, bearing in mind we're 185 episodes into this show. But sadly, we have lost all record of that ever taking place. And it's not really something you can re-record and do again, right? Because it's a one-time deal with the 10-question quiz. Suffice to say, Carl was a very amicable chap who enjoyed The Three Amigos as a movie. Joe and I less convinced on second viewing. And it won't surprise you to learn that Carl won. It was closer than it could have been. Carl won by a score of nine points to seven. So having just revisited the movie, Joe acquitted himself reasonably well. Um, And Carl, very kindly, when we offered him the T-dollars and the T-shirt, understandably took the poker in the ears T-shirt, but made a very generous gesture and asked for the tournament ticket for the T-dollars to be donated to charity. So we will make sure that happens, Carl. I'm sorry we didn't get to hear you on this podcast. Hopefully this won't happen again. All right, my babies, we are almost out of time for this week's show. Coming up next week, it's a poker movie Monday on a Wednesday double feature. Actually, Joe, it's going to be poker movie Monday, not on a Wednesday, but on a Thursday and released on a Friday double feature. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Uh, Get out your blockbuster cards. It's time to rent some movies. Runner Runner will be movie number one. Yes, for the avoidance of doubt, this is the 2013 movie starring Justin Timberlake and Ben Affleck. And then, slightly more highly regarded, the second feature will be A Big Hand for the Little Lady. Yes, this is a movie which is highly recommended by Martin Harris, who we referenced at the top of the show because I forgot that we spoke to him a few weeks ago and read his book. Uh, Made in 1966 with Henry Fonda, Joanne Woodward and Jason Robards. This is a comedy and I'm looking forward to it. It's, It's a bit of a classic. Highly recommended by lots of folks, including uh, pretty much everyone in my quarantine poker club, my Poker Stars home game. Uh, all huge fans of that movie. I've seen neither of these movies, so I'll be seeing both of them for the first time. Should I try to uh, should I try to get compliment again? I don't know how he feels about this film. I don't think he's particularly proud. He's he's at least very honest about not being proud of it. But yeah, I don't think I would really want to no. have him on for the purposes of beating up on no. this movie. Uh, uh, I- so we are going to watch. Both those movies, share our thoughts. Yes. And so I, which is the super fan side? I was going to say, Runner, Runner will be the second movie we discuss. We'll do them in chronological order, and that will be the super fan subject. And Superfan Chet is now booked to appear on next week's podcast. His name is Chert. Yes. That Pardon? is my attempt at pronouncing his name. It's spelled C R T. Oh, like the monitor. Yeah, but with accents. Okay, well, I'm going to watch these movies on a CRT just for him. Guys, that is all the time we've got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, I'm Joe Stapleton. Smell you later.